the scripture passage selected is the last, last chapter of the Deuteronomy. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo for the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, from Naphtali to the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all of the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promise on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, said, um, he buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, and who did all of these signs and wonders for the Lord. They were sent to him to do what he did in Egypt, to the Pharaoh, to all of his officials, and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. I love it when Dr. Williams reads scripture. I think it's especially cool that he, he reads from an electronic device. <laughs> and we think he's the one around here that we don't think he knew Moses personally, <laughs> but he sounds the most like Moses of anybody here. Thank you, Dr. Williams. Would you join me as we pray? Father, thank you for your word that speaks of your faithfulness. Thank you for songs that we have been able to sing this morning that allow us to be able to, to sing about your faithfulness. Thank you for testimonies that are all throughout this room that can tell firsthand accounts of your faithfulness in our lives. Truly, we can declare from one generation to another great is your faithfulness. Thank you for meeting with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Larry Walters was uh, a guy who lived in Los Angeles, California. He was a truck driver, and he dreamed of flying. That's what he really wanted to do. He really wanted to be a pilot, and so he joined the Air Force, 
Well, when he got in the Air Force, he discovered that um, he had poor eyesight, and so they wouldn't allow him to fly. So he served in the Air Force for a few years, and he, he got out, and he, he had one of these uh, lawn chairs. I've not tested this, and I borrowed this, and I've got to be honest, I'm a little afraid to sit in it. So you pray for me now. Actually, pray for the chair. Oh, my. So Larry, Larry would sit in his backyard in Los Angeles, California, and he would look up at the sky, and he would watch planes that were flying over. And he got this crazy idea. He went down to the, the local Army surplus store, and he purchased 45 weather balloons. He brought them back to his house, and he feel, filled them with helium. He, he attached his lawn chair to his Jeep, and then he attached the 45 helium balloons to his lawn chair. He packed him some sandwiches and some cans of things that we don't allow IW students to drink. <laughs> Never, ever. And then he had a pellet gun. And, and here was his idea. He was going to take his sandwiches and his beverages and his pellet gun, and he was going to, to cut the tethers that had him tied to his Jeep, and he was going to float up about 30 feet above his backyard and just hang out there for a few hours. And when he finished his sandwiches and his beverages, he was going to begin to shoot out the weather balloons with his pellet gun and safely descend to earth. Larry may not have been the sharpest knife in the rack. Because he got these 45 weather balloons, you know, attached and his sandwiches and his beverages and he, he cut the cords on his anchor and he, he made it 30 feet. And then 1,000 feet. And then 2,000 feet. He leveled off at 16,000 feet. Now, 16,000 feet in one of these, even if you do have a pellet gun and beverages, not very comfortable. And he actually got scared. In fact, he was so scared that he didn't know what to do. So he didn't do anything. He just kind of floated around up there for a while. Well, the problem was that, that he floated over into the landing zone, the, 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 the flight pattern, for planes that were landing at LAX. Now imagine being a pilot, you're on final approach. <laughs> you're trying to land at Los Angeles International Airport and you look out the window and you see Larry the lawn chair guy <laughs> with his pellet gun, his sandwiches and his beverages and they began to report what was going on. Well. You know, the police got involved, and, and the Air Force got involved, and, and, and how do you get a guy down from 16,000 feet? Well, evidently, Larry, maybe with the help of the beverages, began to calm down a little bit. And so after he had floated down around for a while, he did begin to shoot out the weather balloons, and, and he began to descend. He, he descended right into some power lines. 
Well, Larry's okay, so, so don't, don't, don't owe for Larry. But it did black out part of Long Beach, California. And finally, they, they, they get up and they rescue Larry from the power lines and, and the reporters are there and he's being led off in handcuffs. The police really didn't know what to charge him with, but, but they said, when we figure it out, we'll charge him with something. But here's my favorite line. My favorite line in the whole thing is that, that as he's being led off, a reporter said, why did you do it? Here's what Larry said. A man can't just sit around. Well, I, I want to talk to you about that this morning. Not, not about creating some sort of ingenious flying apparatuses, but, but, but I want to pose the question to you today, if I had it to do over again, and then you fill in the blank. Now, this is a question that I think works whether you're 18 or 19 years old or you're 81 or 82 years old. If I had it to do over again, and then you fill in the blank. And there's all kinds of answers that you might give. You might say, if I had it to do over again, I would sleep more, but not in chapel. <laughs> if I had it to do over again, I, I would study more, but not in chapel. If I had it to do over again, I would, would eat more vegetables. Probably not. And, and so you, you, you feel, now we've got this, this wealth of, of really geniuses with us today. All of these grandparents, I think there's over 900 grandparents that are, that are here today. Some parents are with them. So I'm going to do something in chapel that I've never done. I don't think anybody's ever done before. This may be the last time that we ever do this. Because I've got to be honest with you, I'm a little scared about doing this. But, but I'm going to have a little audience participation time. Now, here's my concern, is that when I give you the opportunity to be involved out there, that can I ever get your attention back up here? But, but we've got a clock that's going to go up here, and it's going to count down. So first, I'd like you to find a partner. I'd like for everybody to have at least one partner. You could have more than one, but ideally be one. So, so grab hands with somebody. Just hold your hands up so that I know that you've got a partner. Okay. All right. Okay, the clock hasn't started ticking yet, so you can't talk. So here's... Here's what I want you to do over the course of the two minutes that's going to be on the clock. I, I want you to share with the, your partner the answer to that question. If I had it to do over again, I would. Okay, you got that in your mind? I've given you some answers, but you can't use the answers that I gave you. Okay? So here we go. The clock is going to begin like, yeah, there we go. All right. Okay, time's up. That may be a conversation that you need to continue at uh, lunch or in Macon or, or on the drive home. But uh, if I had to do it over again, okay, anybody get like a, just a really great answer from, from someplace? Somebody that's got a really great answer, shout out what the answer was. Have more kids. If you had to do it over again, you'd have more kids. Was that your answer or your partner's answer? You said the same thing. Wow. You know, we have some counseling services here at IWU, and they're pretty crowded right now, but we, we might want to. By the way, the Jensen's are here today, and where are the Jensen's? My understanding is the Jensen's, this is their ninth grandparents' day, so evidently they apparently had more kids. Yeah. There they are, right there. 
I think they came five years, took a year off, and then back the last four or something. So awesome for that. Okay, another answer. If I had it to do over again, I would. Okay, we got not change a thing. All right, somebody said something over here. Don't be shy. It's okay. There's only about 3,500 people here, so. <laughs> yes, I'm waiting. You'd marry your wife again. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I'm with you. That's the smartest thing I ever did was marry my wife. I'm sorry? You wouldn't finish college? You would have finished college. Okay. Thank you, sir, because we were going to have to have an usher escort you out if you had. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let me tell you, there was a survey that was done a few years ago where they went around and they talked to some 90-year-olds, and they asked them that very question. This was a, a scientific survey, not what we've done here today. And they asked these 90-plus-year-olds, if I had to do over again, what would I do different? And when they compiled all the results, and thousands of people uh, took this, th they came up with the three top answers. Here were the three top answers. See if you can identify with this at all. One was, they said, if I had to do over again, I would reflect more. I would just spend more time reflecting and, and thinking about, you know, what, well, I know that I'm saying it in a different order, but go ahead and put reflect more up. It's my fault. Reflect more. Think more about, you know, what was going on in life. Number two, or number one on this one, is they'd risk more. They would, they'd have more courage. They would take more chances. And then number three... They do more that would live on after they were gone. Do more that would live on after they were gone. Those are three pretty good answers. Well, Dr. Williams read to you from, from Deuteronomy chapter 34 this morning. It's the last chapter in the life of Moses. Moses was, uh, was literally standing on Mount Nebo. He was looking out at the promised land. He had spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness and now God does what seems kind of cruel. He takes him up on the mountain. He says, look out there. There it is. That's the promised land. That's where the children of Israel are, are headed. And oh, by the way, you don't get to go. Now, I don't know about that. It's one of those mysteries for me. Dr. Williams may be able to tell us why that was. But it, it seems like cruel and unusual punishment to me. After you put up with all of the whining and the bickering and the, the crying and the babysitting and literally the changing of the diapers of, of all of these children of Israel that have wandered in the wilderness, suddenly you're up on top of the mountain and, and you're looking and there's the promised land and you don't get to go. Moses teaches us, I think, some great lessons about legacy and, and that's what I'd really like to talk to you about this morning. You know, Moses was a guy who started out as somebody. Remember he was the prince of Egypt, grew up in, in Pharaoh's palace, spent the first 40 years of his life in the palace, was, was treated as royalty. And then in a matter of 15 minutes, he's committed murder. And in another 15 minutes, it's known. And his life is changed forever because no longer is he in Egypt living as part of Pharaoh's palace, he's on the backside of a desert, tending sheep. 
You can really divide his life into to three chunks of 40. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years out on the backside of the desert, and then 40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness. And now it's the end of his life and he's going to be buried right there on Mount Nebo, not going to get to go into the promised land. But he leaves a legacy behind, and, and legacy is really what I'd like to talk to you about this morning. There's five things, I think, that, um, that people are going to say or talk about when you're gone. And, and by the way, I've checked the research on this. There will come a moment in time when we're all gone, right? I mean, that's, that's an assurity. And, and, and people are going to talk about, I think, these five things. The, the first one is this. Who you really loved. Who you really loved. You know, people know not only who you love, but they know, they know what you love. And if you have any questions about who you love or what you love, just talk to, talk to your family. Because your family is, is watching you, and, and they know who and what you love. You can look at other places. You can look at your calendar. You could look at your, your debit card statements. You could probably look at your text messages. There's all kinds of ways to to look at who and, and what you love. You look at the life of Moses and you'll come away, I believe, seeing that Moses loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he also loved his people. And on a pretty regular basis, the children of Israel were selfish and stubborn and sinful. But Moses was their leader and he loved them in spite of all of that. And more than that, he loved God and they knew that he loved God. So let me ask you a, just a very, very pointed question this morning. Does your family know that you love God? Now the question is not, does your family know that you know about God? Because my guess is that everybody here this morning knows about God. But I believe it's also very possible to know about God and not love God. So grandparents, very personal question. Maybe you didn't come here to get asked personal questions today, but I'm going to do it anyway. Do your grandkids know that you love God? Have you ever shared with them your story? This semester we're talking about stories. My story, our story, which is all a part of his story. Grandparents, don't let your life slip away before your grandkids know your salvation story. Same question for grandkids. Do your grandparents know that you love God? And just because you came to Indiana Wesleyan University doesn't mean that they know that you love God. When your life is over, you can't add to your legacy. Your legacy is left behind. I, I've had the, uh, the awesome privilege in my life to do a lot of funerals. Hundreds and hundreds of funerals. And I know there's a lot of pastors that are out here among the grandparents because I talked to some of you this morning. And, and, and every pastor will tell you that, that their favorite funeral to do is one where there is no doubt, absolutely no doubt, among anybody that's present there that the person that has gone on has gone on to heaven because they were so clear in their testimony of their love for God. Deuteronomy 34 was written some years after Moses was gone. Listen to what they remembered. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Verse 10. So the point's simply this. God loved Moses, Moses loved God, and when Moses was gone, there wasn't any doubt in anybody's mind about the relationship that the two of them had. Second thing I think that, that people are going to remember about you is what you did for the kingdom. Now, depending on what day it was, can you imagine Moses being asked the question, Moses, what would you do for the kingdom today? 
Well, there, there could have been quite a story, again, depending on the day. There was the parting of the Red Sea. There was the day when God had him throw a piece of wood into the wastewater and it became sweet. Or how about the first time Moses gave them instructions about manna and quail from heaven? There was a day when he struck the rock with his staff and water flowed from it. Or how about the day when Aaron and Hur helped him hold up his hands all day so the Israelites could defeat the Amalekites? Maybe the most significant day was when Moses went mountain climbing and while Israel was camped in the desert, he met with God. And on Mount Sinai, God made a covenant with Moses and the children of Israel and gave him the Ten Commandments. When the children of Israel remembered what Moses had done for the kingdom, this is what they said, verses 11 and 12. Who did all these, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt? For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. He had some, some really big days in kingdom work. But in all of that, Moses was obedient, and that's all that God asked from you or me. I know you know this, but it bears repeating. Only what is done for the kingdom will last. Everything else passes away. Jesus comes along, and he says the same thing in, in some different words on a different mountain. He said, don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So another very personal question this morning, what are you doing for the kingdom? What continuing contribution are you making to build the kingdom? Most of us are never going to have the opportunity to do those giant things like Moses, but we can make a contribution to the kingdom every single day. Many, maybe most of those contributions are offered without ever leaving our homes. We make them as we love our families and we raise our children to love and honor God. We make them in our offices where we're people of honesty and integrity in the midst of a society that doesn't seem to think that character counts. I promise you that when your legacy is examined, what you did to build the kingdom will be remembered. Number three, how you handled disappointments. I confess to being a, a people watcher. I, I think airports are the best place to watch people and I spend a lot of time in airports. I, I wanna hold up a mirror sometimes for people to, to look at themselves and see how they dressed in the airport with a little sign under that maybe just written in, in magic marker or something really I mean people people do some strange things well I don't know whether it's a good thing to be a people watcher or not and 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 you may disagree with this but I, I think that people watch you more often when it comes to disappointment in your life Life's not going to always be fair, and it's not always going to go your way. And you can count on one thing, that people are going to watch you in those moments. When there's a big game on television, millions of people will, will be watching, and when the game is all over, they always want to interview the winners. And generally, the winners make idiots of themselves. Maybe I'm the only one, but, but you know what I really am anxious to see? I'm anxious to see how people handle losing. I wish they went into the the losing locker room and and they interviewed them Moses had these tremendous disappointments in his life but Deuteronomy chapter 34 has to reveal the biggest one then the Lord said to him this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham Isaac and Jacob when I said I will give it to your descendants I've let you see it with your eyes but you will not cross over into it wow I read that verse and I find myself saying that's not fair no one deserved to go into the promised land more than Moses. Moses had watched the children of Israel pick up rocks in anger, ready to stone him. He, he had gone to bat for them time and time and time again. 
And I understand why God would not let that generation go into the promised land, but it just doesn't seem fair that Moses had to suffer with them. Joshua and Caleb got to go. Seems like Moses should have been given that privilege too. But when Moses stood on top of Mount Nebo, he was not hearing that for the first time. He had lived with that disappointment for a long time. But disappointment and circumstances didn't keep him from loving God and it didn't keep him from being obedient in the kingdom work. You see, Moses knew that people were watching. And and so by now you know that I'm going to ask you another very personal question this morning, and that's this. How do you handle disappointment? Or maybe a better question is, how have you handled disappointment? I hope and pray that your family will not only see how you respond to winning, but to losing too. Question number four, who follows in your footsteps? There's this game that my kids and I used to play, and I'm sure that you probably played it with your kids or grandkids too. It's where your kids, you know, put their feet on top of your feet, and you walk around with them. My son now has size 13 feet, and he's 30 years old, so we don't play this game anymore. But when he was little, he loved to to play that game. The truth is the game is a little bit of a picture of, of what happens in life. Our children follow in our footsteps. They're a significant part of our legacy. We're modeling for them what really matters. And I don't know whether that scares you or not, but, but I think it should make us not afraid, but it should keep us on our knees. We've got the opportunity not just to mentor our children, but I believe God provides us with many more opportunities to mentor those that are coming down the road behind us. Moses had one following in his footsteps. You know his name. It was Joshua. Scripture tells us about their relationship. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. Can you imagine how hard it would have been that when it came time and Moses knew that he was being replaced, the younger generation was assuming leadership, but he didn't get jealous and he didn't pout and he didn't try and pick his own successor. He did exactly what God instructed him to do. And if you read on in the book of Joshua, you'll discover the godly influence of Moses continued through the life of Joshua. I don't think that was an accident. So my question for you today is, who is your spiritual mentor? And who are you mentoring spiritually? Finally, last but not least, I think there's a fifth thing that we leave in our legacy. And that's the whole question of when you stopped growing. Verse 7, it's my favorite verse, I think, in this 34th chapter. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. He climbs Mount Nebo. God shows him the promised land. Moses dies, and Scripture tells us that, that God made all of the funeral arrangements. No farewells, no fanfare. He simply laid him down, and, and the Lord took his spirit. Mo- Moses died alone without family or friends, standing at his side. But Moses died secure, forever safe in the arms of a loving God. No solemn processions, no stately funerals. The Lord buried him privately, Scripture says. Moses had finished the race. He had kept the faith. God took him for his crown. And his eyes were not weak, and his strength was not gone. 120 years old. Lived through 12 decades of hope and hardship. 40 years as the prince of Egypt, 40 years of obscurity in the desert, and 40 years leading a caravan of grumblers through the desert. And through all of this, grandparents, he never stopped growing. The happiest, most fulfilled people that I know are people that spend a lifetime growing in their knowledge and love of the Lord. 
And I'm convinced that those closest to us know when we quit growing. I don't know about you, but I want to be a lifelong learner. I want to be, be one of those people that God is still teaching me things as long as my eyes are not weak and my strength is not gone. If I had it to do over again. You know what? We don't. But here's what we do have. We got today. And maybe we have tomorrow. And for most of us, our legacy will not be one thing. It won't be a job. It won't be a title. It won't be a decision. It won't be an event. But it'll be a lot of little things. An act of kindness, a consistency of service, an encouraging word, time invested, prayers prayed, trips to a place like IWU to hang out with some, some people that are special in your lives. We close our service with a special time of prayer, prayer of blessing for our grandparents and our grandchildren. I'll invite those that are going to help us to come. Students, please stand. And where it says, all students, join me as we pray for our grandparents. God, our Father, we ask your blessings on our grandparents. They are valued links between the past and the present. May they be anchors that provide stability for us. May their wisdom guide us. May their example challenge us. May their faith encourage us. Lord, bless these grandparents. Keep them in your love. Give them your joy and peace each day. We ask in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Students, you may be seated. God of all generations, we bless your holy name. We rejoice in these children of our children. Thank you for the joy they bring into our lives. Thank you for the promise they offer to your world. May their enthusiasm inspire us to look at the future with hope. May their faith inspire our own. All grandparents now. We thank you so much for coming today. As we close our time together, would students, we just hang on for a second. The scanners will work even when I'm done. We want to give some directions to the next steps, and we don't want a collision between grandparents and students that leaves uh, children beaten with canes. <laughs> so grandparents, please don't do that if the student gets in your way. We know there's a lot of crowd that will come to, the, to Baldwin. So grandparents, if you want to wait for a while, there are tours of the campus. Buses depart right outside the doors to your right as you leave the auditorium. Um, picture opportunities for grandparents and grandchildren are available in the Student Center Piazza. So you can go there and we'll be glad to record this day for you. 
and lunch. And this is for everyone. There's a slide going up on the screen. And if you'll follow this, it will help us. Let me see if I can explain it. There's a blue line there. Maybe the simplest thing for grandparents and grandchildren. If you'll go into the doors near the post office, you'll be directed to Baldwin in the banquet rooms. Lunch is being served in both places. And students, you can swipe at the banquet room as well. There's a green line for the rest of our students. Basically, if you'll go out and to the right and enter the uh, student center by the doors near the police office and across from the pack, that way you can proceed to Wildcat or Baldwin. And there is a red line there, which basically is straight across, and that's for handicap entry only. And uh, if you will observe those, it will help us all be a little more peaceful as we have lunch together. Thanks so much for coming. May God bless you, and may you make a difference for him this day.